0: All right, guys, hey, let's uh, start with just a word of prayer. I'm going to ask you guys that while I'm praying, you're praying for yourselves because hopefully there's something that I say today that will impact you. But if God's not working in it, then then it's not going to help. But if God does, yeah, ask him to open your heart and your minds to, to what I'm about to talk about. So, Father, thank you so much for these young men and women, for the opportunity to speak to them about how to defend their faith. I just pray that you plant seeds in them that will just grow into full maturity and that they will stand firm uh, in your word, in Jesus' name. All right. All right, guys, so answering the unbeliever. Raise your hand if you've ever studied Christian apologetics. Okay, good. So about half of you guys, the other half, I mean, a lot of people don't even know what that word is. I talked to a Muslim guy one time. He was an imam at a a Muslim uh, mosque. And I said, I, t- I mentioned apologetics. He said, there's no reason to apologize for your faith. <laughs> and I said, that's not exactly what that means. So let's dig into what it does mean. But first, let's, let's read this scripture of why it's important. Okay, so I will read it on, this is a little discombobulated with uh, this video that I want to show you, but I guess this will give you a, a reason why this is important. So be sober-minded. Be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever, amen. So that's a little bit of a picture illustration of what I'm trying to talk about today. I want to give you bullets to put in your Glock so that when the roaring lion comes around, you have something to shoot at him, right? So and God has been so gracious that he has give us, given us ammunition to fight off spiritual warfare, the devil, a lot of different things that happen in this life. So that's... I mean, there is literally Satan, Satan. I've encountered too much stuff to say he's not real. And not only there's Satan, but there's you. There's your sinful nature that is drawing you out to do things, which is very powerful in itself sometimes. So what is our defense? What are we going to stand on? Well, one of those bullets that we can put in our, in our Glock is apologetics. So it comes from the Greek word apologia or apologia, if you're really good at pronouncing Greek words. So one of the most famous places that it's found is in 1 Peter, where it says, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, honor Christ as the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make an apology, make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. Another verse that we look at is in Jude. This isn't the word, but beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common faith, our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you appealing uh, to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for condemnation, ungodly men who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Does that sound familiar today that people are creeping in and asking you to question your faith or to run a different way with it that, and, Oh, that's not really what the Bible says. This is what it says. So we're going to, we're going to jump in and hopefully address some of those things. If we have time, we'll give you an opportunity to maybe ask a question. Maybe I have the answer maybe I don't, maybe I have a resource to point you to, but, um, I want to try to help you guys. Uh, jump through this. So, and just to summarize what apologetics is, this is a good little definition at the bottom here. Apologetics is merely knowing what we believe, why we believe it, and being able to communicate it effectively to other people. We want to make a defense. Jesus used apologetics. Paul used apologetics. Remember when John the Baptist came to Jesus, or his disciples came to Jesus, he's in jail. Hey, are you the one that was supposed to come or not? And Jesus pointed them to the miracles that he was doing. He pointed them to the People rising from the dead. He pointed them to the fulfillment of prophecy. Biblical authors use apologetics. Now, evidence in itself is not sufficient to save somebody, but it is a tool that God gives us to use. So, my first encounter with apologetics, I was a meathead football player at Purdue University. (laughs) About, I see. What's why do you like Purdue? What's what's your deal? All right, well, just go boilers. I I like them too. So, all right. So that's pretty rare that somebody would care around here, but so I'm I'm at school there. It's 2001. 9/11 has just happened. The, I got to watch on TV as two planes fly into the World Trade Centers. Thousands of people's dead dead in an instant. We're getting launched off into a multi-decade war where a bunch of other people are going to die. And people are asking. Why would God allow this to happen? And I'm walking around campus and I see a flyer up that says there's a seminar and it's If God, Why Evil? i was like, that sounds interesting. And I'm kind of a nominal Christian at that point. I would have considered myself a Christian, but was definitely not walking the Christian walk. And so I show up to the seminar and this guy, his name is um, William Lane Craig. Anybody heard of him? Okay. So a couple people have. Unbeknownst to me, he's like one of the most well-known apologists, defender of the faith in the world. I mean, this guy is a world-class debater. I'm just showing up, I think he's just a Joe, some Joe Schmo. And he gives the most eloquent talk that I've ever heard. Now, I'm at a, at a pretty prestigious university. I've never heard anybody talk like this. This is intelligent Christianity. This guy's on another level than all the other professors that I had. And I can't tell you exactly what he said. I was writing down notes, I lost those notes. But it was a packed auditorium and I was like, wow, I've never encountered intelligent Christianity before. Everything else I had heard up to that point, in a sense, was soft-serve ice cream, and this guy was dishing out some meat, and I wanted to chew up some meat, at least that day. I didn't get saved that day, but that was a seed that was planted that in a couple years, when God was going to convict me of my sin, going to show me my sexual immorality, going to show me that, that, in essence, a scripture verse that says, if you walk in sin, you lie and don't know the truth, that was me. I called myself a Christian, but I walked in habitual sin. Sexual immorality, drunkenness, uh, greed. My, My whole reason for getting an education was so I could get rich and have a lot of money, right? And so God radically changed me and showed me my sin through his law, through his Holy Spirit, and radically changed me and granted me the gift of repentance and faith. And when I got that gift of repentance and faith, I'm like, man, I need to tell some people about this. So I went and started telling people about it. And I was like, man, I really don't know what I'm talking about. And I need to be ready to give a defense, because I'm going to run into some hard questions. And I did. And so it drove me back to the books. It drove me back to podcasts. It drove me back to trying to gain wisdom and knowledge. And so for the last 19 years, longer than you guys have been alive, I've been out there on college campuses sharing these things, getting in evangelism encounters with students. And take fielding their questions, proposing questions to them that they never even thought about. And, and I wanna share some of that wisdom with you. So before we get to that one, I was on the I was on the drive up here this morning. I, I just lived down in Fresno like an hour and 40 minutes. Anybody live in Fresno Clovis around here? No? Okay, nobody around here. All right, so a lot of times our, our kids are coming up next week. But it's a pretty windy road coming up, and there's people. When I drive up here, they're always speeding and tailgating me. I'm kind of old; I drive a little slow, whatever. But I, I was just thinking on the way up. I was like, "Man, what if these people just drive off a cliff? There's like no guardrails around here." And this car speeds up on me, and I'm like, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be courteous. I'm gonna pull over and, or you know, turn out and let them go." And then about three, four miles up the road, I see somebody. I see some debris in the road. I'm like, oh no! And then thankfully, I. I, I, there was a bumper on the road. I was like, w- did somebody fly off the cliff? Thankfully, they were on the other side, upside down, crawling out of their car because they were driving a windy road, going too fast. I don't know what happened, but there was a couple of cars stopped already. But what I did was they seemed okay, so I pulled up around to the next curve where cars could see me as they were coming around the curve. And as cars were flying around that curve, I'm telling them, pump your brakes, slow down, Look. There's something up ahead. There's some, there's some danger for them and for you. Go, slow down. Get some wisdom. I've got wisdom. I'm dealing it out to you. Look over there. Slow down. And they did. And the fire department came. And I left. And I was here right on time. So that was God's. God's uh, and he gave me a, a good illustration for this morning. There's people. Your leaders in your church, hopefully. Your, your leaders. Your counselors here. The people here at Hume. Me. Me. I'm double your age. Hopefully I have a little bit more experience. I've been down the road. I've encountered these experiences. There's these things called this thing called the internet that has a lot of poison in it and has a lot of really good stuff. Avail yourself to the information that's out there. There is more information available right now at the tip of your fingers, which some of you guys shouldn't have all that power at the tip. I don't know if I should have all that power at the tip of my fingers right now, but it's out there. And so the main thing I want you to get today from this especially the half of you have never heard of apologetics. I want you to remember this day, like I remembered that William Lane Craig, I can't remember what he said, but I just knew there was intelligent Christianity out there. And when there's a question, you can go find the answers. This, all the stuff that you're gonna come across, they kind of put a new package on it. It's already been answered. Deconstruction, all the stuff that they bring up has already been answered. The LGBTQ issues. Yeah, there's some new, new variations on it. It's all been answered. There are smart Christians that have been around for thousands of years. Jerome, Augustine, I mean, these guys, the, the, so I just want you to know that. And so I'm gonna just going to give you a taste. I'm gonna just going to open up the fire hydrant, let you take a sip, okay? And if you don't get some of this stuff right now, fine, but go dig in and get the answers. I've got these QR codes for some resources you can grab up here, a QR code for the, a magazine that I created that... I was like, man, I'm talking to all these students. I need to have a resource for them. And so, and so you guys can at least get an online version of that. All right, So let's just dive in. Let's check out some of the big questions that we have to deal with. How do you know God is real? Anybody ever wondered that? It's, hard. it's, it's a lot easier to know God is real, I think, when you're here. Because I think, just in general, you get outside a different, different situation, it's obvious that God is real. So and that the book of Romans even talks about that. It states that the knowledge of God's existence and his divine power is plain to see just by observing the creation. Creation demands a creator. Do you think this building could build itself? Of course not. How much more complex is the universe, this world, just this world than this building or your iPhone or this computer or this little slide mover thing? Far more and you would never think any of these could build themselves. Yet I talked to a 70-year-old, very intelligent atheist the other day. I said, Well, what what started it all? What caused it all? We don't know. And I said to him, Sounds like you have a whole lot of faith. Except your faith. I didn't say this, but your faith is blind faith. I don't think mine is. Because you have no clue what caused it all. I know what caused it all. It's God. And by the way, I think he's just suppressing the knowledge. He knows, because he would never, if he was to be logically consistent, those same arguments should should work but they don't always work because we are sinful, we suppress, we wanna rege- rebel against God. The heavens, oops, the heavens de- glor- declare the glory of God, Psalm 19.1, and God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Sometimes it's not fair what we can do with, with people that are denying the existence of God because they're inclined by nature, even if they deny it, to know that God is, is real and that God exists. So what would be some cool arguments for that? Well, we got the Kalam cosmological argument. Everybody ever heard that one? You're probably familiar with it, but um, so let's dig in. This is one that actually William M. Craig has, uh, has really expounded on quite a bit. He'll write a whole book on this. I'm just going to show you the pre- main premises. Premise one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Premise two, the universe began to exist. That's really not even argued anymore. They call it the Big Bang we call it creation there was probably a big bang when god created premise three therefore the universe has a cause this cause god what we would call god most obviously um, must be beginningless uncaused timeless spaceless immaterial enormously powerful immensely intelligent so that's the Klum cosmological argument very succinct very powerful i would someone say well everything you just notice in premise one everything that begins to exist has a cause we would say that God does not as never began to exist. He is the uncaused first cause. He is outside of time and creation. And so that's a solid argument logically that God God has given us the gift of logic. The existence of logic is the evidence of God. The fine tuning argument. Simple, good. Argument. Premise number one, the universe exhibits and requires remarkable fine-tuning of its physical constants and conditions in order to have burst into existence and to continue to exist. It's, it, there's a lot that goes on to us standing on this ball of lava that's floating around the sun right now, it's, that we, don't, we just take it for granted. The fine-tuning that is required for our universe to exist um, is t- statistically impossible or unlikely to have occurred by chance. Therefore, the best explanation of the fine-tuning of the universe is that there is a fine-tuner commonly known as God. Makes sense, right? Here's one that you get. This is the one that I started with, the existence of evil, moral laws, human, and I'd say human rights actually prove God's existence. So you've heard, if God, why evil? I would prefer to say, if atheism, why evil? And let me show you why. Richard Dawkins, one of the most famous atheists that is around, check out what he says. The universe we observe has precisely the properties that we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. If you believe in no God, guess what? Morals do not exist. Evil does not exist. They're just figments of our imagination. But we know that there is evil. I was talking to an atheist the other day while I was working. Like I said, very nice guy. And he said, yeah, it's all just a figment of our imagination. Dominoes falling. And I asked him about some terrible things. What about the terrible things that happen to children that are kidnapped and put into sex sex slavery and stuff like that? What if somebody just does that for fun? Is that evil? Oh, of course that's evil, no one should ever do it. But not by your standard. And we'll see more from Richard Dawkins. DNA, neither knows nor cares, DNA just is. And we dance to its music. We're just slaves to our DNA, he would say. Science has no methods for deciding what is ethical. The matter is uh, for individuals and in society. Science cannot tell you whether abortion is wrong or whether it's wrong to clone a human being, or whether it's wrong to do stem cell, or whether it's wrong to punch me in the face for no reason, or whether it's wrong to steal from somebody. Science can't tell you that. Moral laws tell you that. Science doesn't tell you everything, right? You can't test morality by science. That, that's an objection that you hear. I only believe science, I believe science. Is that, is that statement scientifically testable? It's not. So there are things beyond science that are true. So how would you deal with that? Well, I would say evil cannot exist without good, like shadows cannot exist without light. God is the ultimate standard by which everything else is measured, and he has written his standard on our hearts. Again, Christians have an unfair advantage because God has made us, and God has put this stuff in our hearts. And that atheist I was speaking to while I was working the other day, it was on his heart, I said, and it just kept everything we talked about, it just like a beach ball underwater, it just kept popping up, it kept popping up. I said, do you love your wife? Yeah, I love you. Do you love your kids? Yeah. Do you all these? Do you enjoy things? Yes. All these things God has planted in our hearts are just things that are shouting to us, God is real. Now check this out. One moral law demands that there is a moral law giver. If there is no moral law giver, there, is no, there are no laws. So the law of you should not rape for fun. Everybody, that's a moral law, right? That's that's. That's solid, right? I've never heard anybody argue otherwise, or at least admit it. A moral law demands a moral lawgiver. God is a standard by which everything else is measured. I love walking on the college campus and asking the students. I'll say, you know, what, what is your standard? Um, or like, why is, why is murder wrong? And I'll let them squirm. I mean, just tell, well, it's, you shouldn't hurt somebody. Why shouldn't you hurt somebody? Well, because it's not nice. What's wrong with not being nice? Well, you just shouldn't do that. Why? I'll say, well, you want, you want to know my opinion on it? I, and then I'll quote, I'll quote this, the, the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. that to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. God is the giver of human rights. When they claim you have the right to have an abortion, I'll say you may, the government may have given you that right, but did God give you that right? He may have given you the choice, but that is not a right, that he is, murder is not a right. It's infringing upon somebody else. God has given us this, these, and that it's self-evident. That's what they used to say, it was self-evident. I don't know if it's as self-evident these days, but, so that's something to chew on. The moral law and evil is actually evidence for the existence of God, not the other way around. just need to check timing is here all right we're good all right right, so so on that that kind of gives you a framework of how to deal with that but then why would God allow such evil in the world this really trips people up because there are some terrible things that have happened to me in my life there are some terrible things that have happened to some of you guys in your life and why would God allow that? And so you get to look, hindsight, go, first go read the Bible. Go read the book of Job. Realize that all the disciples had terrible things happen to, themself, to, happen to them. But, I mean, getting, getting murdered for their faith. And yet they were sold out for Jesus because this life is very temporary. But let's just blast through these real quick, okay? So I want you guys to dig more into it. These resources, you can find a lot more on this topic. Books have been written. Books, very thick, have been written on this topic. Uh, If you could see humanity from God's perspective, you might ask why does anything good happen, not why do evil things happen. Think about that. We are so sinful that it's just amazing that God gives us any grace, but he is gracious, he is kind, he is loving to even those in certain regards that even reject him and hate him. If God were to rid the world of evil, that's what people would want, right? Uh, sin and pain. Then, he st- who should he start with? I've asked this to people. Should, should he start with you? Because we are the source of so much evil and pain, right? It's I get the natural disasters and stuff to happen, but most of the stuff we complain about is what other people do to other people, including ourselves. I saw my flesh boiling up with my wife as we're about as I'm about to come up here and talk to you guys. God, just keep me calm. Like uh, this is this is and so it's it's in us the sinful nature is in us we need to fight it trials prove if our faith is real i had an opportunity for a very close family member of mine to have a crisis of faith and almost like suicidal and it proved amongst many other things that the fa- his, his faith his face was fake and what a beautiful thing that was because two years later he dropped dead of a heart attack and he had that two years to really actually dig into his faith it was it actually ended up being a beautiful thing. Trials can bring refinement, growth, knowledge, and wisdom. I don't know if you guys know it yet, and some of your parents push you to do hard things or or you should push yourselves to do hard things that hurt sometimes, because that's where you grow. That's you wanna hit the gym and get big old buff with muscles and stuff, you hit the gym and you go make it hurt. You wanna be a good ball player, you go hit the field and make it hurt. You wanna have knowledge and wisdom, you hit the books and make it hurt. Okay, that you When you suffer, it teaches you life's lessons. And leading in that, that C.S. Lewis said God's megaphone, or God's pain is God's megaphone. And it gets our attention more than all the easy roads in the world will. Because of sin and suffering, we will be capable of bringing God more glory, thus making eternity more enjoyable. Guys, this life is short. It seems long sometimes. But trust me, you get older and older, it just seems to go by faster and faster. And the things that God gives us, the trials that he gives us, the victories that we can have for his glory will give us a greater eternity and it will give us greater opportunities for, now, for this time as well. This broken world allows us to see the extent of God's love for humanity in Christ. Heroes are born out of tough situations. If sin hadn't entered the world, would Jesus need to come and show the extent of his love for us? He wouldn't right? That sin afforded the opportunity to show that the infinite God of the universe was willing to bow down, jump into the slime, this gutter in comparison to heaven and show his love for us in an amazing, beautiful way that you would, you would have never known had sin not occurred in this world. And so we've got the opportunity to, to learn from that and see the heroic nature of, of Jesus and, and, people of the faith that have gone before us as well so that we can help others. Obviously, if I've struggled with something and I've conquered it through God's power, I can help you. That's, in a sense, what I'm doing right now. God promises an end to sin for believers, so the promise just, this does end someday, and it will happen sooner than we think. God doesn't just look at our suffering from a distance. He suffered more than any of you combined combined for the whole world, God became man, suffered in this life. Imagine having all the knowledge in the world, and, and but ultimately going to the cross. You know who the one person who bad things shouldn't happen to? It's God, is Jesus, because he is sinless. He didn't deserve it. We all deserve God's wrath because we sin against the infinitely valuable God. So chew on that one. That is, that is powerful. Jesus suffered more than anyone. He understands. Come, Go to him, and he can help you. And for those who love God, don't quote this when people are in pain. Don't quote this when somebody just died. Hopefully you can talk about this beforehand. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to their purposes. Get your theology on suffering in place before the suffering happens. Things still going for me. Here we go. All right. So, uh, yesterday I was done. I was like, I'm not making any more slides, but I will throw some things out that that we hit. Um, If you have a question um, that I'm not answering, so these are the next questions that I want to target in my next seven minutes here. If you got something else you want to ask, there's another microphone. You can come up here and ask it so everybody else can hear. Hello, 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 hello. It's my mic drop opportunity. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's. Oh, I got my guy in the back. Is it? Is it on? No. All right. Well, if you want to walk up here, I'll hold the mic for you. But these are what. This is what I'm going to address real quick, and some other topics. Um, all right. So, has the Bible changed? That's one of the most common ones that I that I hear. Okay. Has it changed? The beauty of the Bible is that it is. Pretty much impossible to change the Bible at this point. And it's because of the word, write this down if you're taking notes, textual criticism. When someone says the Bible's been changed, I'll say, How do you- the good thing to do is ask questions to get pl- clarification. How do you know that? How did you come to that conclusion? And I've heard time and time again, people just, if you ask them one deeper question, they're just lost. And so they'll say, King James did it. Constantine did it. Did, you know, the Catholic Church did it. So that's, that's not really helpful. So how do we know the Bible hasn't been changed? Well, the textual evidence, textual criticism, the science of it, how historians look at the text of any ancient document, they, the more copies they have, the better they can do of determining what the original said. Well, with Christianity, with the New Testament, we have over five, almost 6,000 manuscripts of, uh, in the Greek language. We have over 20,000 manuscripts in total in different, um, in different languages, but that is a plethora of documents, and they just keep finding more all the time, and that never makes the news because they all say the same thing, but when we have more copies of the original, say we don't have the original, which we don't for pretty much any ancient text, you can figure out what it says, because if all of us believed that, that this, let's just say this is the Word of God, it has the Word of God in it, but and I say, and we all are sold out. We are disciples of, of God, and we're going to go out and share this with the world and all the churches that we've already planted. But we have to do it by hand, okay? All of you guys are going to make different mistakes. But in a 1,000 in years, people could go back and see the different family lineages of the copies called the manuscripts, and they can say, okay, this is the Masoretic text, or this is that text, this is that text. And they can compare and contrast because we won't all make the same mistakes, so we can get back to the original imagine just popping in a computer now and it'll show you and we can get back to the original text 99 plus and then on top of that we've got the early christian authors that wrote um, that quoted the bible so extensively that we could almost reconstruct the new testament just based on that how do i know the new new testament authors told the truth there's a lot to that, that that is in this in one of these QR codes with the magazines, but why would they lie? I mean, they were just getting beat up for, for what they said. They included embarrassing details about themselves, dim-witted, stupid, doubting Jesus. They were rebuked. They were cowards. This is not a story you're going to make up. If you're going to put that in your book, try and start a religion, you're not going to do that. You're going to make yourself sound tough and strong. And, um, they, ha- they abandoned their long-held beliefs. They just abandoned Judaism. I mean, and we're willing to die for it. They were, um, there's authors that are outside biblical times or that, that affirm Jesus. So non-Christian authors that are affirming, what ha- Josephus, what happened to Jesus? The Talmud, the, the Jews who put Jesus to death, his own people, affirm when they killed Jesus and, and why they killed Jesus. Um, they left in demanding sayings. They included events you wouldn't make up, like the burial of Jesus by non-believers. If, you, if Jesus got buried and you're making it up and then he rose from the dead, you're not gonna say that Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, helped bury him. That's what, it, that's what the text says. Women were the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. If you're gonna make, you're not gonna make that, it's like women, sorry women, in those days were not counted as like full citizens. It's like in Georgia and slavery south, you were gonna have a slave be your star witness in something you're making up. That's not something you're gonna do. It's not fair. It's not right. But that's just reality. The conversion of priests. One of my favorite is James and Jude in the Bible. Those are brothers of Jesus. Guys who the New Testament says didn't believe in him while he was on this earth, now became leaders of the church. James was the leader of the church at Jerusalem. So we could dig, dig, and dig. But yeah, go for it. Or I don't know if it works. Hello. We got like two minutes. Two minutes. Okay. Well, um, in the. The bonus verse for this week, which is Friday, um, 2 Corinthians 4, or 3, uh, 7 says, or no, 4, "...such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life." Not the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites cannot gaze at the face. That Moses' face, because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Does, are the letters carved in stone, the Ten Commandments? And if this is, if this is saying that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life, does that negate the power of the Ten Commandments? That should we keep following the, the Old Covenant and the, the Ten Commandments? Sorry, we're out of time. I'm sorry. <laughs> so a very good question. Literally have one minute to answer. Um, nine out of the Ten Commandments were repeated in the New Testament. Don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, adultery. Jesus ramped it up, said lust is like adultery, hatred like murder. So the one you're not going to find in the, in the New Testament, I would argue, is the Sabbath. So those are not necessarily how we achieve salvation. It wasn't in the Old Testament either. If you look at um, Romans chapter 4, where Abraham kept the law, but you'll see in Romans chapter four that it was actually by faith that Abraham was saved, not by the law. We, we keep the law, we keep God's laws that he's given us so that we can um, honor our father, not in order to earn our salvation. I'm like, really quick. Okay, so I have a question. So I was just curious. So like we all, God designed us, right, and created us, and he knows how we work, right? So I'm just curious why like God created us, like God created some people, to, like intentionally choose, cause he like knew they were gonna choose like before the foundation of the earth, like what they were gonna choose. Yeah. So like why did he create them to choose to go to hell? Like even if, like you know, like even if it's for his glory, like still just like curious about that. I don't know either. I mean honestly, I why does God? Because the the Bible at one time, at one point, and in the same verses, go read Philippians I think 2:19 that God gives us a choice, yet we are sovereignly chosen. And I'm just going to hold that one intention that God understands it because there's so much other stuff that I know I trust God on. And I'm just going to say, look, God is sovereign. God knows if it's, if it's happening, God knows it's worth it. So in some, there are not answers for everything. But just because you don't have the answer for something doesn't mean your faith is a wreck because guess what? The atheists don't have the answers either. The Muslims don't have all the answers either. The, it's, there's, everybody's got some questions. You want to look at the totality of evidence, but I do know what God's word says. It says to, that God sovereignly chooses and that we need to choose as well. I tend to lean on the God's sovereignty choice, right, right? And so why does God send people to hell? Ultimately, it's just and righteous, and that's where I'm going to trust that God is just, pure, and righteous. Great questions, guys.